This programme was first broadcast on Otago Access Radio and made with the assistance of New Zealand On Air. This morning we take an opportunity to talk with a long-time friend of Otago Access Radio, a woman who for the past best part of 30 years, four of them in a voluntary capacity, uh, has been committed to assisting individuals and families take control of their financial lives. Shirley Woodrow has recently announced her retirement from her position as Executive Officer of the Dunedin Budget Advisory Service based right here at Dunedin Community House. Many of you will also know Shirley, of course, as the voice of Otago Access Radio Show, My Money. Shirley Woodrow, thanks for joining us this morning. Good to have you here. Good morning. 26 years in employment at the service, 30 in total. How real do those numbers feel to you? Um, it's it's interesting thinking back and thinking, oh, that's the number of years. But when I think that I've actually spent more than a quarter of a century in the role, it sounds huge. I just say twenty six years. Yeah, it's quite a while, but um, you know, just twenty six years. Now, Shirley, you have a head for figures that that helps. But what have been the strong motivations that have kept you working in this field for so long? Um, two different faces, I think. First is training advisors and seeing volunteers get what we're doing and gain confidence as they gain knowledge and as they see successes with clients. The second one is seeing clients get it. Clients who have struggled and maybe not had a balanced budget, they make savings, they keep on track, they get debt paid and to see them come out with less stress in their lives and they're feeling in control is the other one. So there's two, the clients and the volunteers. And public service can be very rewarding, uh, but in situations such as yours, uh, you're inevitably being introduced to clients at a time that they're under stress. You've mentioned that. Um, What's been your approach to developing uh, a working relationship with clients under stress? The first thing is we've got to listen, listen to what they're saying. We can empathise, so showing that we're listening and showing that, yes, they are under stress or, yes, they're feeling angry. You don't have to agree with the way they're feeling, but just to acknowledge that, um, then that shows them that you're listening and that you're caring about them. And along the way, we're getting the information we need to do the budget, but we're also... um, Developing that relationship, if we don't develop that a good relationship, we don't get the, the figures we need. And so it's, uh, uh, it's not just putting figures down on paper, it's showing them that we um, are interested and we're trying to improve their situation from where they are. But of course along the way, we don't tell clients what to do, we give them the options and they choose. And so you can't... Um, support that if you haven't developed a relationship and that relationship helps them trust you and what you're saying to them. Some of us find it hard enough to sit down and be realistic about what we're doing with our money because we don't want to face up to it half the time, Shirley. I mean, even anyone who's who's not necessarily facing any particular trouble in terms of their financial situation you know, might tend to kind of avoid looking at it to the future, for example, you know, when we consider what might be necessary to set ourselves up for our later years and what have you. Um, that process of being meticulously honest about what you're doing with your money, uh, that must be a new thing probably for most of the people you deal with. Yeah, and sometimes it's, um, occasionally we have somebody will come and say, I should be able to save and I can't, you know, I want to know what's happening. Just putting it down on paper 
often is the trigger that says, oh, now I can see it. But often it is just people say, oh, I'm budgeting okay, but my money just doesn't go far enough. Mm. Well, if your money doesn't go far enough, you're not budgeting okay. Um, So sometimes it is, well, you know, where does all that extra money go? Well, no, I I only spend it on essentials, but actually getting them to write it down Mm. sometimes is quite revealing for them. It's very easy to dip into your pocket and or your wallet and just oh yeah you know a coffee here coffee there something else um, and suddenly you think where did all that money go I had twenty dollars in my wallet where's it gone or whatever um, so just keeping track of that and just realizing making a note of what you are spending it on can be quite revealing but for people to actually sit down and look at where their money's going can be the trigger to changing or it can be oh dear it's just too hard so under what circumstances do people generally come to the service i mean what kind of range and breadth of client are you dealing with anything from um 16 17 year olds up to 65 70 year olds and usually there is a threat of eviction a threat of disconnection of power or just um, they've been paying a, let's say, a credit card. They've been paying the minimum every month, but they're just not making progress. They just don't seem to be getting ahead, and they want to start getting ahead. And so we can look at what the options are for them and look at trying to put a process in place where maybe they can start paying the principal off rather than just interest. You mentioned volunteers. Tell us kind of how the structure works. You've got some paid employees there, but but not... It's not only those who are dealing with clients. We have about 60 volunteers at the moment and those volunteers can see clients either in their own home or in an interview room here in the office. Um, And the fact that they can go out to the client's home means they get a good idea of the client's situation because they're actually seeing it. It also saves the client having the expense of coming into town and that's particularly important if people are struggling to manage. Um, And... Also, if you know they're saying to their client, how much are your rates, and they don't know off the top of their head, hopefully they can go away and find a piece of paper and be able to tell us the information. Whereas if they're being seen in the office, we've got to wait till they go home, find the information, and wait for the next appointment, mm-hmm. or they've got to ring back. So the, having the volunteers going out to the homes is a real plus, um, but the client can choose which they would rather have, and they can be seen in the office if that's what they prefer. But the volunteers... Because they don't have to be doing it, sometimes that can be a trigger for a client. Sometimes we get clients who really aren't making an effort. And sometimes the advisors will say, look, I'm a volunteer. I don't have to be here. I'm prepared to be here if you want me to be. And sometimes just saying that to a client, what, you don't get paid to do this, can be the trigger for um, them to actually make an effort to do something. So some of those relationships are relatively short-term. Are there a number that are long-term? Yes, there are. Um, Probably at the moment the one that's longest term that I can think of has been with us since 1995, Mm. taking up 20 years, or just over 20 years, Um, and he just constantly... He doesn't manage his own money. He constantly is spending more than what he wants, trying to spend more than what he gets. Yeah, well, look, you must have an opinion on this then. How financially literate are New Zealanders? Some are very literate and some aren't at all literate. And um, there's a couple of reasons for that. Um, People aren't being taught by their family. 
So they're not being taught at home or they don't have a good example to follow from the home. But secondly, um, we've tried and tried to get it into schools. There is a system in schools, but it's up to the teachers whether they teach it and the teachers aren't comfortable teaching it. And that goes from new entrance right up to year eight um, and it builds on every year what they've learnt previously. And it just comes into maths and English and art. It's built into those subjects. But teachers aren't comfortable teaching it. That must be frustrating. Very frustrating. We will go into any school and talk to any class about budgeting, but it's really hard. We develop a relationship with the teacher and we get invited in. That teacher moves on and we lose that contact. Um, But we would love all children to get taught budgeting at school, then they have that base knowledge so that when they go out into the community, they can then hopefully manage their own money once they're earning in their own right or getting money from a benefit in their own right. So the best answer with regard to that might be for parents to start putting the pressure on the schools to to incorporate this? Yes, and and we've been um, involved in lending lending matters and that um, we had somebody from education come and talk to us and they said it has to go... We have to pressure them at the board of trustees level. Mm. And so if that's coming from agencies such as ours and parents, um, then maybe something will happen because that way you're more the fence at the top of the cliff rather than the ambulance at the bottom. We would rather people learnt how to do it rather than get into strife and then it's that much harder to get them out of it. Have the general drivers of debt changed much over the time that you've been with the organisation? No. <laughs> Simple answer, no. Um, when I started, um, debt, getting credit pe- that people couldn't afford, people getting credit they couldn't afford, uh, was a common issue. The level of debt has increased dramatically over the years. But last year the Code of Responsible Lending came in and we're hoping that that's going to have an effect. So what that code says is, if somebody is going for a loan, the loan provider has to do everything they can to prove that the client can afford it. So they've got to check some stuff, and there's a range of stuff they can check. Yes, the client can still lie, but they have to show they've tried to get the information or they've got the information and looks like the client can afford the loan. So what we're getting with that is some credit providers saying, no, sorry, you can't afford it, I'm not giving you the loan. So if a client says, oh, that's fine, I'll go to another lender, that lender should be doing the same process. So hopefully the long-term effect of that is that not as many people will get into unsustainable debt. I'm still getting things in my letterbox. I got one yesterday saying, um, here, have $30,000 if you want it. Um, That kind of thing must concern you. Absolutely. And all of us as staff, within a couple of weeks, all got one from the same company, all offering us loans and... Mm. To say that, they have no idea what your situation is. They don't know what your income is. They don't know what your expenditure is. Your money may already be fully committed. And presumably the reason they're able to sustain themselves is that they actually feed off late payment and interest. Yep, late payment High rates, high rates. The, the bigger the client is, bigger the risk the client is, the higher the interest rate usually. Yeah. Um, and but I mean, why spend all your time chasing bad debts? We wouldn't want this to be uh, just a 
uh, an analysis <laughs> of the problems that are ongoing. Because for you, Shirley, you know, you've done lots of great work. Um, if you reflect back on uh, your time there and, and look at some of the successes, what would you say they were? Um, successes. I think the whole thing for me, 26 years in the role as executive officer, kept the service running and running well. It has a good name in the community, but going with changes as they occur. So the changes are around legislation, changes are around IT stuff. As IT stuff's introduced, we have a fabulous database now, which makes it easier for volunteers to do their work as well. Um, so the success is keeping the service going and functioning effectively and being successful while at the same time changing as changes occur. Um, the other success is just the success of seeing the clients, clients who say, thank you, you've made a big difference in my life. You uh, leave the organisation now at an interesting time for not-for-profit mm. organisations across the country. It is hard out there. Are you optimistic for this, the future of these kind of organisations or, or how does it currently look to you? We're going from being given grant a big grant by the government to having to tender. We've never done tendering before and so it's a very scary process. We're hearing all sorts of rumours about what it's going to be, whether it's going to be have to be a regional tender or an individual tender. Are they going to... We've heard that you know maybe they're not going to fund one-off clients anymore, um, all sorts of rumours going around. So it's a very unsettling time, mm. and I feel sorry for Andrew going into replacing me. He's got my role, um, and having this tendering as well. But I have offered to be there to help through that tendering process because I've got some of the knowledge of having done the funding stuff up until now and what they're looking for, but... Until the actual tender document comes out, we don't know. This is potential territory for social contracts, isn't it? Yes. Mm. How do you feel about that? <laughs> Pretty scared, actually. Yeah. <laughs> uh, you know, to think that maybe we won't have a contract after the 1st of November, after the end of October, is pretty scary when you think that we've been here for 46 years um, and we've run a successful service. So to think that somebody else might come in and get that tender, somebody may, who may not have even been doing budgeting, may not even be doing it right now, um, is pretty unsettling, uncertain, because there's not enough money out there through pub charities, things like that, to keep the service running without getting the money from government. So it's a um, very scary Time at the moment. I get the sense you're going to have a little bit of difficulty in letting go, Shirley. <laughs> what are, What are your plans? My plans. I I'm still. I play badminton. I'm involved with the Otago Badminton Association, and I'm president of my club, so I'm still got stuff there. I'm a judicial JP, so I do court work, and all of that will continue. Um, I'm a church member, and I teach Sunday school, and I visit members and do extra things through that. I'd like to keep my garden just a little bit more <laughs> weeded. <laughs> it gets not too bad, but they uh, could be a bit better. I have lots of photos to sort out. And you have uh, children and grandchildren, of course. I, yes, I have seven grandchildren, so to be a little bit freer to go and see the ones that are out of town would be wonderful. Um, 
and just to sit and do nothing if that's what I feel like doing because you know when you've been working hard in a in a job such as this for so long just some downtime first and I said that I'm not committing to anything until anything new until after I've retired until I've only got three days to go then I'll make decisions about uh, once I've had some downtime about if if I see something I want to do, I will then do it or commit to it. Well, all the very best for your retirement, Shirley. It's been Thank wonderful you. to uh, to have you uh, as part of the team here on Otago Access Radio. And, of course, the My Money program will continue with Andrew Henderson at the helm, as indeed will the Dunedin Budget Advisory Service. And we wish that organisation all the best for the future uh, as well. Thanks, Shirley, for joining us and all the very best. Thank you. This program was first broadcast on Otago Access Radio and made with the assistance of New Zealand On Air.